Well, I don't know about enlighten, but uh, but I will give you some hopefully some good information today. Um, as you said, my name is William Wall. I'm the deputy director of, of TCI, and it's great that I'm seeing some familiar faces in, in here today, and some of the people that I've that I've had the the wonderful opportunity to work with over the years. Um, I'm originally from South Louisiana. I'm from I was born in Baton Rouge, grew up in in the in between Baton Rouge and New Orleans area, and I decided. I wanted to come to, to Nashville and go to Middle Tennessee State University to pursue a career in music. Yeah, you, 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 you uh, Blue Raiders fan? Yeah, yes sir. My alma mater as well. So I, I moved to Tennessee and I went to school and I studied mass communications and recording industry at Middle Tennessee State University. And as I was doing that, MP3s came into play. And in my last semester of college, I'm looking for a job. And actually, I'd interned with a publishing company. And this publishing company was great. And they were like, look, we can offer you a job, but we can't promise you anything over six months. And I said, well, OK. So where did I end up? I ended up in a juvenile jail facility looking for a job. But I say that to say this, that life leads you in funny directions. And, and, and I tell you that, that I, you know, I wasn't the musician type, but I wanted to work in the music industry. But what I found is, is I, I loved music, but then when I started working initially with kids, is that I loved corrections, and I love, and I love doing the things that require to help someone change their life, and that's why I'm here today to discuss kind of what we see from our end. But you know, I, I, I attribute it all to God leading me in that direction. I really do. Now, I am a representative of the state, so that's personal information. I, I can't discuss necessarily <laughs> religious-based thing. There's my disclaimer. But God did lead me in that direction, and I've been in it ever since. I started in the late 90s, and here I am today. Um, I worked in Rutherford County, and, and when I left juveniles, I went to adults, and I started working with them, and then I was a, I was a director of training in Rutherford County. Uh, for, and then I was at the, the workhouse, and at the workhouse, we started this big program thing. And, and I had a great mentor who taught me not only about helping people, but how we can get others to help. And, and that's what you all do. That's what you all, or most of you, are here part of, is that, that it's not about just understanding that we have care, custody, and control, but it's about sometimes reaching in and helping that person and understanding that, you know what, they didn't come from the same background I did. They didn't have the same opportunities that I had in my life. They didn't have that person to tell me no. They didn't have that person to tell me, you know what, there's something out there that you need. What it is, regardless of, if, of any uh, religious faction, whether it be Christian, Muslim, Judaism, regardless, there's something that can help someone. And that's what I learned, and that's why we're doing these things. TCI, before we were strictly compliance, we'd go out and inspect your jail and we'd do some training. Um, our director has a vision, and that's part of why I'm here today. And the vision is, is that not only do we inspect jails and train, but we, we speak to the greater good. That doesn't necessarily mean any particular sect of religion. That just means for the greater good. Is someone going to make a change and a difference in their life for the better? Someone who's going to walk out of jail, walk out of prison, a better person than they walked in. And that's, that's what I'm here for today. And, and mainly to educate you about what TCI is, because you know, you're like, oh, you deal with the prisons. No, I don't deal with the prisons. I deal specifically with the jails. Um, what, how we can help you, 
what are some of the things that you can do, one of the things that I hear and hear is that there's obstacles to getting into the local facilities. Well, I can't say I'm your in, but I can give you some ideas on, on how to get into jails. Because I'm gonna tell you some things that maybe you won't like to hear. And that's okay too, right? Because if no, uh, the knowledge is power, you know, as, as someone much smarter than me once said. But knowledge is power. And the more we know, the more we understand, and the more, and this is training to where when you walk into that jail and you walk into that facility, whether it be a prison jail or what have you, um, you will know that, look, I know what they have on their mind, hopefully after today, and what they're thinking, what they're looking at. Um, a couple familiar faces in here that are, that are with Shelby County Division of Corrections and Shelby County Sheriff's Office, um, they understand that as well. And, and then we have McMinn County, he's worked for the Sheriff's Office many years. Um, I, his, his son is actually the sheriff, and, and uh, it's an honor to have you here today, sir. Um, and they're willing to, to bring these programs in. But we're going to talk about obstacles. We're going to talk about what jails are like in Tennessee. Not all jails. But sometimes what we see is we see the person in that jail. But what we fail to do is understand what's out there in the public and what the public's perception is. And we go in there with the mission of changing people. But sometimes not only the people in the jail need changing, sometimes that jail needs changing. Okay, and, and not necessarily for the, the people who work in it, but giving you the knowledge to understand that the conditions, the funding, the manpower that these jails deal with every day is something that you don't see. And I wanna enlighten you to that a little bit. So, we'll get started. This is just an overview of what TCI is. I'm not gonna read the whole thing. I'm not, it's not gonna be death by PowerPoint, hopefully. Um, what we're required to do is inspect jails and certify each local facility or jail, workhouse, or subsidiary thereof within the state of Tennessee. We actually, uh, there's 129 facilities within the state of Tennessee. Two of them are private and two of them are run by the mayor, okay? You have one that's run by the mayor here in Shelby County and you have, which is prison slash work release slash work, you do everything there. And then there's the, Workhouse in Rutherford County, which actually I ended up being associated with uh, later on in my jail career, that's also run by the mayor. And then the other 120, however many are left over, <laughs> I need to work on my subtraction, right? Are uh, run by the sheriffs within the state. Next thing we're responsible for is education. Initially, that's what TCI was brought, we, we came to pass because of education, because there was a need for that. Um, there's a lot of lawsuits and, and it was kind of predicated off there's nothing that points directly to it but back in the 1970s and uh, well I'm gonna say it the way that that I believe it said but it's Maury County Tennessee if you're from Maury County I apologize because they say it's Murray and they refuse to say it any other way but there was a massive jail fire and what happened is 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 there was a visitation going on on the weekend there was one person working in the jail. The jail caught fire. Over 30 people died, including visitors, inmates, all these things. And they said, look, TCI, you're, you're taking care of some of the education things, but we need standards of how you operate your jail. And that's kind of how we came into existence. And then the last thing we do is provide technical assistance. So that's sort of what I'm doing today. Even though I'm providing a level of training, what I'm doing today is providing you some technical assistance to help you understand what we deal with every day. And I don't want to run short on time because I want to give you plenty of time to answer questions at the end. If we end early, then you get an early break, right? All right, this is who we are. 
<coughs> our executive director is Beth Ash. Um, and this I promise you, she's a native of South Louisiana too, but we, had, we didn't know each other from, from Adam until the interview when we realized we were both from Louisiana at the time. But um, she was a former sheriff. She retired from being a sheriff. She was the first elected sheriff, uh, female sheriff in the state of Louisiana. So she broke a huge glass ceiling. I'm, I'm very proud of, to be able to work for a lady like this. Um, she's amazing. She has a lot of vision. She's the reason I'm here today. Um, but we also have multiple support staff. But the main persons that, that the jails deal with are our detention facility specialists. They're the ones who are responsible for inspecting and for the majority of the training that occurs. Um, these are our divisions, which we, we have three grand divisions in the state of Tennessee, but we have them kind of <coughs> shuffled up, as you can see, to uh, best serve the jails. Um, while it may not look like massive regions, trust me, every one of our detention facility specialists work <laughs> themselves to the bone. They're, they're unbelievable staff, and uh, I wish I had more like them. Um, tell you about what we do. We provide approximately 7,000 correction officers in service each year, meaning that we go across the state and we train. We don't have one location in academy. We'll come to McMinn County and, and, and get a classroom and, and educate them on, on current trends in corrections. So we, we have a pretty big footprint to the amount of people. And about 1,500 corrections officers we teach basic to. That's basic training. It's a week-long class that you know give you, gives you the, the, the A to Z as general as we can within that short period of time of what corrections is about. We have two training conferences. Uh, one is our jail issues, which we had, we have some participants in that and this year, and we'll, where we discuss administration and management issues and things that are current topics in jails and bring in outside speakers. Somewhat what you're doing, uh, kind of like what you're doing today, right? Um, then our FTO training conference, which we have facility training officers and administration come throughout the state to help find information to say, look, you know, I want to bring this back to the staff. Because we do live in a, in, a, in a world, while we try to help people, you have to understand from the local facility standpoint, they get sued every day. Okay, and we have to educate them to keep not only the facility safe, the community safe, as well as the inmates. Uh, litigation is an awful, awful thing. Now, don't get me wrong, if, if excuse my, my vernacular here, but, uh, you know, if you're stupid, then you're going to get treated like you're stupid. <laughs> you know, you do something stupid, you're going to be held accountable. But in general, it doesn't stop them from suing you. It takes a lot of resources each year, and that's part of what we do as far as our training, you know, and try to prevent those things. Um, we have a partnership with the Tennessee Sheriff's Association to provide management and leadership training. We also teach one week of the new sheriff's school. Any new, newly elected sheriff, um, we teach the jail portion to them for, for a week. We recently did that last year. It went over great. Um, we have multiple train-the-trainer courses, need-specific training, county officials, general public program, and volunteers. That's, that's what we're here for today. Um, we approved the curriculum for approximately 100, well, it's, it says 128. We just recently added one, 129 facilities. A jail had to add on. Um, we approved third-party training through ACA, NI, NIC, a lot of places that local correction officers can get training in. And I want to get this out the way because this is the boring part, guys. And we track 
training for all the jails within the state of Tennessee to ensure compliance. That's what we're actually doing here in Shelby County this week. Just so happens we're, we uh, inspected the, and it all went well, Chief, I promise you, over at the training academy um, to ensure that people have their hours. And that's why I brought up litigation prior because let me tell you from experience, part of my job is dealing with the media and dealing with litigation, okay? Now we have an attorney that represents us in the Tennessee Law Enforcement uh, Training Academy as well as the Post Commission. Well, we have two of them, because it takes it. <laughs> and um, almost weekly I see a lawsuit come across my desk or at least a public information request. They request two things, a copy of your inspection and a copy of the training because they're looking for a hole. They're looking for a hole, and it's a cast net, and they may not even have a client. These, these law firms are throwing out cast nets to try to find out if you're doing what's right. And, and I say that to say this, that that doesn't mean just the sheriff. That means everyone sitting in this room. You accept a level of liability when you walk into that jail and, and complete a program, talk to inmates, things that you, you, the interactions that you have with inmates. These are the things that you face, whether you realize it or not. But we're going to get to that here in a second. We'll get to it right now then. This is a requirement. If, if you want to do, um, if you want to provide ministry in a jail, if you want to provide some sort of programming within the jail, this is a requirement for each jail that you provide that ministry in. And, and what it says is prior to assuming all assuming duties all correctional employees support employees and highlighted says non-facility support staff that's what the majority of you here are where uh, a support employee would be the chaplain over here who works specifically for McMahon County he works for the sheriff um, you're a correctional you guys are correctional employees of course or support employees um, but you shall receive an orientation training regarding the functions and the mission of the facility under the supervision of a qualified officer this training can be accomplished through classroom instruction, supervised on-the-job training, and individual review of policies and procedures, or combination of all three shall include. There's 10 subjects. This is new to our standards. And, and I'm gonna cover each one of these and tell you why, because you, some people are like, why am I learning about key control, okay? But I wanna, I'm gonna cover each one they apply to you, I assure you. But part of the reason, before I get into those, the reason that we wanted these in the standards is because we don't want to give the sheriffs an excuse to keep you out. Because recidivism is not where it needs to be. It really isn't. People, the same people are in jail constantly. There are some jails that when we do, we do what we call a snapshot statistical analysis of a jail. And when we walk in, there's many jails that are sitting in 95% recidivism. That means that 95% of the people sitting in that jail have been there before. Do you think jail's working for them? What's the only answer? A change in life or something that you all are doing, right? But if we're providing you training, then it creates a level of trust with the sheriff to where you understand what they're dealing with. And we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But facility policies and procedures, everyone can understand that. I need to know what's going on in there. I need to know what they require of me. Uh, suicide prevention. Why do you think that's important? Does anyone think that? Absolutely. 
And, and what she said, for those of you who didn't hear, that they may say something to you. Many times, they, you know, as soon as they see this badge, they don't want to talk to you. But you, the volunteers, walk in, and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm down, I'm depressed, you know, I, I don't know if I want to go on living. And, and it may not even be that overt. But you as volunteers, you almost have a responsibility that if they, they well, you do have a responsibility. I'll go ahead and correct that now. Um, you have a responsibility that someone reports that something of that nature is going on that you have to tell them. You have to report that back to jail administration so they can get them mental, mental health help, uh, see a doctor, see a nurse, whatever you can do to say, look, you know, this person may be in mental crisis right now. Um, so understanding how to prevent these things is, is very vital. Um, use of force. Why should we know about use of force? Anyone have any ideas there? If anything, it's get out the way. But mainly, it's to understand that, you know what, while there may be a situation in the jail and you see a use of force taking place, your perception as a general public or as a volunteer, it, it, you may not understand the circumstances around it, you may not understand a force time continuum, which requires you to handle inmates a certain way um, because they're trained to do these things. And sometimes uh, us understanding that can go, okay, Man, it looked like they were beating the snot out of that poor guy, and but you didn't know the factors or whatever else, and I, I don't think anyone's beating people. <laughs> However, sometimes even just the smallest thing, putting someone in handcuffs and putting them on the ground can look very violent, and, and that's what it's about. It's about educating you to understand, okay, these are some of the things that they do. Um, now, not saying that you guys are participating in the actual hands-on, handcuffing, throwing people on the ground, we just, it's awareness. <laughs> Uh, report writing. Do you think you ever, you may be ever asked to write a report? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Because if something happens, we, we talked about suicide a second ago, and someone reports to you that they're thinking of hurting themselves, you think you might need to write it down. And they just want to talk to you about the circumstances in which that you may, you may have to do these things. Um, right. Exactly, concrete things. And, and when they do these orientations, they'll tell you, we don't want speculation in your opinion. We want exactly what you saw, whatever the census tell you. Um, inmate rules and regulations. To me, that's the most important one, why? Do you think for one second that an inmate might try to trick you? You're in there for good reason. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, you know, you're there to hell. Yeah. <laughs> That's the point. They will, they will attempt to get you to bring in things, and, and I'll step aside for some horror stories for just a second, because I, I want you to know how serious these things can get. Um, I'm going to stay away from the real hardcore stuff, but I will tell you a good for instance. Uh, I had a chaplain, paid chaplain, working, and, and he went around and had a phone, and if someone said they were feeling bad or whatever else and needed to talk to their mama, and he walked in, and this was, this was my former chaplain, and he really felt bad for this person and walks in and, and hands him the phone, who do they call? Their girlfriend, who they have a restraining order against, and at that point it violated this restraining order and contact order. And therefore, who was at fault? <laughs> there you go. I mean, that gives you a, a great, for instance, of knowing the rules and regulations. They are not to use a phone unless it's an inmate phone that clearly states that, okay, that. You know, this person's calling from this correctional facility because if, if we get too far involved with 
getting outside of safety and security, then at some point you're compromising the victim's safety and security. And, and, and we tend to forget that. I mean, as a corrections officer, as a, as a, as a person who's very program-oriented, sometimes even a person who has been in this industry for a long time and is very understanding of that, we can sometimes out, step outside of that box. And, and it happens often. You know, so that, that's one of the things that we want to get across. Key control, if anything, <laughs> you know, leave your keys in a secured area. Never let an inmate have access to keys, and please don't leave them laying around. You know, um, and they're, and, sir, leave them laying around. Um, and, and a lot of that has to do with, did they ever come to your church? Did they ever have access to maybe your church van? that you put them in to bring them down to church? Do they ever, do you bring your person to a jail? Some, maybe, some, uh, Shelby County, you don't. <laughs> I can go ahead and tell you that now. But, you know, I, I've been in a jail where they walk in and they have their keys laying there. And just uh, those types of things. And let me give you another for instance. And it had nothing to do with the program. It had to do everything with a work crew. This guy goes out, he's in regular misdemeanor, finds out his wife is leaving him. He's out on a work crew. The guy who ran the work crew just always left the keys in the truck. What do you think he did? Took the truck, kicked the door in, tried to kill her. That simple. Thought he was a trusted, I mean, he was a misdemeanor. Trusted person, trusted him, trustee. And did that. So that's why you have to be aware. Um, emergency plans and procedures. Don't you want to know when that alarm goes off where you need to go? There you go. Um, cultural diversity. This is extremely important because some of us were involved with a specific church, okay? And you have to understand that everyone doesn't come from the same background or they're not necessarily there for the same mission you are. And we have to be very careful to understand that the actions that we take, just your hands behind your back can mean something different from one person to the next. However, certain programming, they may come in like me, I'm, I'm a Catholic. Okay, and uh, I know I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> but you know what? And I say that because Catholicism has certain things that are very specific to Catholicism. But if I go to a ministry, which is a Christian ministry, and I sit in and they start bashing Catholics, not only is an inmate may that aggravate me. But that could potentially, in a jail or a prison, set you up for a lawsuit. You know, in the real world, I can get up and walk out. So that's what I'm saying with cultural diversity. Understand that everyone in there isn't just there to see you and buy into your mission. Maybe they just want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> and it happens. At least 30 to 50 percent, and a lot of them get out the cell. But maybe you can reach them. And I, I, that's why we promote that stuff. To get, look, get out and maybe... I'll put it to you this way, and I'm going in circles now, but, but I, I used to be the chairman of a disciplinary board, and they made it come in, and one of the things, we'd take their credits, but one of the ways that you could earn those credits back was programming. And it didn't matter if it was Christian-based or, or, or if it was, you know, a GED class or, or some sort of educational class. We had a computer class, had a, uh, a resume writing class. But showing good faith in those things, we'd maybe return some of those disciplinary credits that you lost for acting up. And I had a, a guy stand in front of me in disciplinary board about 10 years ago, and he goes, 
you know, man, I'm, I'm an atheist. And most of what you have here is, is, is you know, Christian you know, programming or, and you have a Muslim program. I don't want any of that. I'm an atheist. I said, you know, and I don't know if I had a moment of clarity or what, but I just said, you know, I was like, it, it brought me back. One time I went to a Buddhist temple because I was interested to see this Buddhist temple because, man, things beautiful. And, and a friend of mine who was Buddhist, I was like, can, can I go in there? He's like, yeah, absolutely, come on in here. And they were doing a little program in there. And I sat in there, and I actually learned something. Now, granted, I'm, I'm, I'm still Catholic. I'm not Buddhist anymore. But you know what? I learned something. And that was my point to him. Like, you don't necessarily have to believe the background was behind that, but sometimes just understanding that, that you can learn something no matter who it's from, good or bad. You can learn something, and, and that was the point behind it. And I know I went way off, but that's kind of what you have to understand for the cultural diversity aspects of that. And sometimes it's not about everyone wanting to hear your message. It's about getting through to that person. Um, communication skills, and I think that falls back into cultural diversity too because what we say, how we say it, our body language could mean a whole lot to to an inmate, because not every inmate is just a bad person. We all know that. You wouldn't be here for that. But, you know, this is something I tell corrections officers all the time. Uh, more than half the people who are sitting in your jails, at some point in their life, were a victim. And it's a way of life that they begin to understand. And communicating with them, sometimes you just can't communicate with them as if they're an inmate. Sometimes you have to understand that there are victim aspects of that and just learning how to speak to them. Uh, sexual misconduct, two things. State of Tennessee, uh, there's no such thing as consensual sex between a volunteer, anyone, any member of the public, and an inmate. Class E felony, if it's consensual. But didn't I say there's no such thing as consensual? Uh, it, yeah, class C felony. <laughs> there you go. And that's what the state of uh, Tennessee says as far as the law. And then you have the Prison Rape Elimination Act, which if you're caught doing it, that tells jail administrators and sheriffs across the state of Tennessee that they could be held accountable if they don't report you. I'll just leave it at that. Is that the same with the volunteers as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, if you notice, and may I ask where, what prison or, or jail that you're associated with? Limestone, correct. Is that in Mississippi, Alabama? Alabama. Okay. Um, how many Prius signs have you seen go up around your facility lately? It, it, tons. Right. They mean business. Yeah, and, and that's the point behind it. They mean business. And, and while it's an unfunded federal mandate that came out initially in 2003, the standards just came out um, 2013, December of 2013. Um, they meant serious business, and, and we have jails calling us across the state going, how, how do, you know, do I have to have an audit, and da-da-da. I'm like, if you're fighting against prison rape, then something's wrong, you know. Uh, there's certain things that you can do if you can't afford to do all the things that you need to do, but, but awareness, and part of that is, is awareness here, is understanding that there, as a volunteer, and you'll be told this, they'll go over the law. I'm not going to get too involved with it because I am running a little short on time. Um, also, uh, yes, sir. If anyone even mentions anything to you about this, Correct. I'm obligated to report it to the head officer. Correct. And, and, and you may even need to fill out a form. Correct. 
You're correct in that, and, and many have, have hotlines where they pick up a phone and they'll say, look, if you have to report it, report it in the proper channels. Because otherwise, every one of you walk in will say something. You know, where's my grievance? You know, I have, it's, any of you who are just volunteers and not necessarily just a chaplain or, or whatever, understand that inmates are gonna tell you problems. And there's a, there's a process that each jail and facility has to report those problems understand that inmates have to follow those protocols okay that's if I walk away from anything do know that that inmates have to follow certain protocols and a, a way of filing grievances because that could be another level of manipulation in fact if they're coming to you and they know the process about 70% of the time it is um, which leads me to non-facility support staff I'm not going to read the whole thing but this just tells you who you are, volunteers, clergy, but you shall receive by standard four hours of continuing annual training. Um, it's up to the facility to decide, the local jail to decide how you receive that training, but it's awareness. Once again, these rules are about saying, we're gonna try to give the sheriff no excuse to keep you out. If you're willing to do these things and follow these rules and com complete this training, then they're going to let you in because you're willing to comply with a lot of these things. That's why we have them in our standards now. <clears throat> I wish it was more. I wish it was at least eight to 16. No, uh, uh, but, but the sheriff said, no, we can get them done in four. <laughs> so um, this is how, what, how, what our standards say about programs. We don't have a whole lot that specifically address it, but written policy and procedure requires that a facility shall provide for prisoners to voluntarily participate in religious activity at least once a week. That's a mandate. That's the only thing we mandate as far as they have to, you have to provide as a sheriff or as a facility, uh, religious activity at least once a week. There's no time parameters. These are minimum standards. But um, they're required to do this at least once a week. It meets Supreme Court said they're supposed to have access, therefore it's in our, our standards. Um, there's lots of, uh, hills and valleys with that because we don't always get this person who's you know now in now in uh, we'll, we'll say Ray County Tennessee it's mostly going to be you know Baptist and, and Church Christ I'm just because that's what the programs they have because typically the people who live in that community they're going to do this thing but in Shelby County you've got um, you've got a Muslim chaplain you've got multiple Christian chaplains and do you all have a, a Jewish chaplain yet but you know, there's lots of different uh, areas that that you cover. So that we're talking about equal access here. So it do, just doesn't mean one church coming in. It means if the inmate need, if you're providing it, then you need to find reasonable access to provide it for those who don't necessarily have it. <clears throat> and here's the other thing. It talks about discrimination at the very top because that's basically an EEOC thing as far as employment but it's covered that there's no discrimination you can't in political belief religious belief but the part that pertains to you is when both males and females are housed in the same facility available services and programs shall be comparable that's one thing that we wanted to do because the female population in jails for so long was very low in, in the state of Tennessee at least it was very low compared to the male it's still lower but we're seeing more and more females incarcerated. And they might have 20 prisons, I mean 20 females in a, in a prison or a jail before, and now they got 200, but there's 30 programs for men and one for females. 
or sometimes vice versa. So what we want to do ensure that it doesn't have to be, you know, 50-50 necessarily. It has to be indicative of what your population is and trying to get, you know, look, we're going to provide services for both sides. And, and those of you who are the heads of programs, put your thinking cap on. Maybe you provide something specifically for women. Maybe you provide something specifically for men. Think outside the box a little bit. How can we get the same message across to men? Like being a, uh, a mothering class isn't necessarily going to work for the men, but maybe a new fathering class would. Um, different jail sizes to show you kind of what we deal with because I'm gonna now going to some historical perspective before I run short on time I have about five minutes to finish this presentation then I'll take some questions um, different types of jails the ones you service in here are either prisons or type 1 jails that hold for 72 hours or longer but this number look familiar and it's the largest jail in the state um, but we have jails as small as three beds in the state of Tennessee. Three beds. Small little county that has three beds. So if you can imagine those are the type of jails we inspect, it's, it's very difficult, but they all have to follow the same standards. Every single one of them. Um, part of what we do is, is technical assistance as well. Uh, legal training and resources, public inquiries, which means this, that if you see something that's problematic within a jail. We're not talking about complaints. But if you see something that's problematic within a jail that, uh, that is very awful or not so good or you want to give praise, you, you can contact us and we actually log that. We're not investigators. We don't have any regulatory authority. Um, but we, we do keep, keep that up and, and look at it and we inform the facilities if there are problems. And we inform them if they are doing a, a good job. Um, I'll just move on to the next one. It's just some more stuff we do. I want to get into this other part. Um, facilities that we deal with as far as jails, some of the challenges, and this is what I wanted to speak to you all today about, is that while we're here for a purpose, understand that not every jail is the same. Understand that, that even though sometimes we may have problems with correctional officers or dealing with the administration, they deal with challenges that, that, that are unquantifiable and that you may not know about. And I want to let you know what some of the things they, they deal with are. Overcrowding and classification, um, staffing. Many jails operate with a little one or two corrections officers and they can be responsible for over 200 inmates. One or two people responsible for that entire feeding, making sure everything is clean, making sure that their health and welfare is checked on every hour and it's out there. High turnover rates. Why? Why do you think there's high turnover rates in jails? It's very stressful. Um, position funding. You're the community. Sometimes that's, that's what you have to bring back to your county commissions and say, look, I've been receiving some education on this. And, you know, I know it's budget cutting season, but, you know, the jail doesn't have enough people. We're wondering why we're spending this much hiring and hiring and hiring. Well, because they're working them to death. Um, aging facilities. According to the National Institute of Corrections, a jail ages approximately three times faster than a normal building. Not only because of who's there, but because of constant use. You know, I was walking through uh, one of the jails here recently, and I was, they were like, yeah, it was built in the 80s. And I said, yeah, it makes about 90 years old. And they're like, well, then I quoted that stat. Uh, funding. 
many times your county commissions, you have all these brand new schools, beautiful schools, sitting 60% capacity, and you got people living in filth. And I'm going to give you an example of that. Not because just it's a filthy jail, because the county commission hadn't funded it. They hadn't put the people in there to make sure things are getting done. And there's lots of problems that occur with that. But, you know, got a nice school. And I got kids, so trust me, I want my schools to be good. But, you know, you have to, sometimes you have to understand necessary evils. But did you know that 70% of the liability in every county within this country on average, the liability is associated specifically with your jail, but yet we keep building schools? I'm not, I'm not against building schools, trust me. But when you're overcrowded, then that leads to human rights violations. Not intentionally, just happens. Lots of federal lawsuits that show this. All right, moving forward. I'm not going to even go through this because he's giving me the 10-minute sign, which I asked him to do. We'll look at this real quick. Jails now have become mental institutions. 1950, 512,000 people in America were in mental institutions. 2010, they do the study, as you see, every 10 years. 43,000. Do you think these people with mental health problems are, in, are okay now? Or are they in our jails? Piece of information you need to know going into the jails that you're going to deal with mental health issues. And sometimes as a, as a representative of a program, as a, not sometimes, you're, you're going to deal with them a lot, but representing a certain faith that you have to understand when you go into that jail <coughs> that, that they may be dealing with something more than just, than, than just a normal person is, you know, from abuse, which can cause mental health issues. Um, a good guy once told me, he said, you know, he goes, you'd be surprised at how many CEOs walk in every day and have to take their mental health medication. Because it's true, it's a, it's a, it's a plague in our society these days. It's not that's a bad thing, but, you know, it's more than we think it is. And in our jails, it's prevalent. And for years, it's gone untreated. Um, we'll go through this, show you a little bit about the beds. The number of beds with the Tennessee Department of Corrections is 20,667. How many inmates do they have? 2535, they're at 99.4% of the capacity. We look at prisons as the big system, right? Nope, jails are the big system. That's how many beds we have in, in jails in the state of Tennessee. Or how many inmates we have. There's more beds than that, but that's how many inmates that we have in the state of Tennessee. What you all, what I ask you to do today is change this. Because you all are the conduit between the community and, and the facilities that you represent. It's to change this. Public perception, jail's fun. Got a laptop. That's public perception. No, that was bars on the windows, and she's wearing black and white. So. <laughs> we want you to we want you to change that. But let me show you a little bit about reality. That's a jail in Tennessee. That's a current jail in Tennessee today. Wow. Dealing with that's reality. Overcrowding. That's a jail that's in operation right now. More overcrowding problems. Lack of funding. This jail is just 20 something years old, but county commission won't pay to get things repaired. Lack of funding. Lack of staffing. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about this, how, how lack of staffing affects the jail. They were burning things in the sink below 
to heat up their coffee or burning milk cartons. And all that soot, and they just took their finger and wiped out all the soot to make that swastika. That's how much time and people aren't paying attention to them. But that's lack of staffing because failure to fund. More, more examples of this. That was the actual, right, right above it's the swastika. Think that's an escape risk, getting that pipe chase? How many of you saw the thing in New York? How can you help? And then we'll close out. You can assist with educating the public and public officials with understanding challenges jails are facing in today's environment. That's, you're the conduit. Promoting programs which assist in reducing recidivism. That's what you all are here for. We don't want them in our jails at all because we just want them to be normal members of society. Maybe, maybe not always normal, but that's what, we're, what our goal is, right? That's what we want. And uh, shining an example, I keep harping on Shelby County here. They're down in prisoners. Why? <laughs> it ain't because they ain't out there. It's because their programs are so good that they're actually seeing a negative recidivism rate. Communicate a, a clear intent of your goals with the sheriff and administrator. Let them know what you're there for, not just your mission. But most importantly, understand safety and security. Allowing, in, allowing sympathy to override empathy can be disastrous. The minute we feel sorry for them, it's the minute we fail them. We can understand what they're dealing with. We can put ourselves in their shoes. But when we start feeling sympathetic, then we become compromised. Then we start giving into the rules. Then we start giving them things that we shouldn't. And we start violating the rules. Um, overcoming resistance in facilities, permitting volunteer access. And I know some of you uh, spoke with this gentleman here that, you know, that's part of the problem, but here, here's what we can do on a local jail aspect. Make certain to inform the sheriff that you are security minded. I understand security. Uh, I'm willing to do the things I need to do. Because many times that, you know, well, we're here to save everyone and we're here to do these things because it is, it's, it's, it's heartfelt. That's what you're there, you want to do. Ultimately, that's what you want to do. But if they don't know your security mind, they're like, here we go. Old hug-a-thug coming in here. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I, I'm being serious. Inform the sheriff or administrator that you understand training requirements and you're willing to com complete all mandated hours. Let them know, hey, that's not a problem. Because overall, isn't your mission more than that? Than over some hours? Isn't it more than just sitting down and learning a little bit? Inform the sheriff or administrator that all facility rules will be followed and you will never attempt to under, undermine the mission of the facility. Because sometimes that happens and they don't want that. Many times news media leaks are done by program volunteers. And it may be a lack of perception. Sometimes it may be good, I'm, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> but sometimes it may be because they don't understand. And then assure the sheriff or administrator that you're on their team and you'll report anything that compromises facility or inmate safety. You let them know those things, they're gonna feel comfortable. And they may not have 100% comfort level with you, but if they at least know that you have those things in mind, when you go in and you approach them, then they're, they're gonna be more than willing to work with you. Like, wait a second, they didn't come in saying how they're gonna save the world. They came in telling me that they understand my mission first because it's their job to protect the public. And that's what you do have to understand. So, I guess we're completely out of time, right? I'm long-winded. Got two minutes. Do we have any questions?
If not, go forth and prosper. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.